Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What are we going to talk about today, besides watches? Um, well, I'm feeling a little nervous about what we're talking about today. Oh, I like that. Yeah? I like that. We're going to talk about nerves. Yes. So, the reason is we just did our an event recently where more than half of the storytellers, it was their first time, mm-hmm. which is unusual. Usually, we'll have like a couple people who've done a lot, and then a couple people who've done a few, and then one or two new people, but this time we had four new people mm-hmm. and so the the vibe was different because it was like everybody's first time and i realized that i had totally forgotten how i felt at our first event and also probably our second event where mm-hmm. it was like okay i gotta read my story over and over again and then i'm gonna stand up in front of this room and i'm gonna as i was just telling the real stuff and like i forget that i'm about to get up in front of a room and speak sometimes oh really yeah oh no i'm still nervous all this, i get nervous about everything though yeah, I mean, I'm sure if I went to a different stage, I would be totally nervous, mm-hmm. just in the context of our event specifically. Right. But so you're nervous every time. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And it, it also depends, I think, uh, uh, more... There's all there's there's different levels, I think. Because mm. there's sometimes, if you are telling something that is really... It depends on the story sometimes. Yes. Because the... Uh, I would say, I don't know if it's nerves, but like say the difference between if you're telling a funny story, you want people to laugh at the right places. Mm-hmm. Or if you're telling something that is very, very deeply personal and serious and everything, you want to make sure like that's, you know, you're revealing something to a, a group of strangers. So there's a different kind of nerves associated with that. Mm-hmm. And then there's just like you were talking about is there's the first first time going up and doing that. And I think it relates to something that uh, that uh, uh, Paul was saying that he who's sitting right over there recording. Yeah. Paul uh, off mic. Yes. Um, is uh, that uh, that different places carry different or was it you? I don't remember who was talking about it. that the, the, a different it's, place can it's carry easy to different. Confuse us. Yeah, I know. That like a, a a place can carry a different, you know. You were talking about uh, at your event at the stories we don't tell. It uh, you don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I did say that. Yeah. So we had all these new people. So I guess the thing to talk about is what do you do to manage nerves or to beat them? What do I do personally? Yeah. Um. I I think it depends on just knowing the <clears throat> the story kind of inside out. I uh, I do not. I've talked about this before on on this very podcast, but I remember there's different I think kind of rituals that you come up with, mm-hmm. and one of them for me is that the closest when I get close to the event with the you know a day or two or three, I don't tell anybody the story. Because um, during the first event that we did, I was telling a story and I, there were some funny bits to it. And um, when I 
first shared it, you know, in the workshop um, environment, it got some uh, chuckles. Mm-hmm. Should we say chuckles? Sure, yeah, some chuckles. Uh, but then I read it right before the event and um, to the same people that were in the workshop, and there wasn't as many chuckles. Yeah. But I think it was just because there was a you were familiar. Everyone was familiar with the story, right? So you, when you hear something again, you don't chuckle at it as much as you chuckled the first time. Sure. But what that sent me not, I wouldn't say spiraling, <laughs> but it did me. It did it put like a, a bit of doubt. I think of just like, oh wait a second, <clears throat> is this not going to work or is this not going to land with the audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I just so you learned. Don't tell it to people anymore. So I don't tell it to people. It's a secret. So that's why whenever uh, right before an event, some of the storytellers will say, "Okay, does anybody want to practice their story?" I'm like, "Nope, not me. Not you. Not me. Keeping it to yourself." Yeah. That's nice. And alcohol. Yeah, that's something that <laughs> Stefan was saying um, to some of the new storytellers this time. He was like, "You know, having a couple of drinks can really help. There's a sweet spot where you stop being nervous." Yeah. There is a sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you still know how to read. That's important. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so what do you feel for you? What has changed since that first event? And now you don't even think about it. Well, I think initially it, the hardest part, I mean, it's all the hardest part about this event is the the piece of it. it's a story that you don't tell normally. So you're a, use this expression all the time but it's like you're standing up in front of people and you're ripping your skin off you're like you're exposing yourself in this way that you haven't before and you don't to me i think the nerves and the fear comes from you don't know how they're going to react which Mm -hmm. is kind of what you're saying i think about when you're when your story is a little bit funny you're like i'm going to go up there and i'm going to be incredibly vulnerable and i don't know what people are going to do with that like maybe they're going to judge me maybe i'm going to be ashamed maybe whatever 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 And I mean, obviously people get nervous about public speaking for all kinds of reasons, but I think that in in our context, those are the bigger pieces or they were for me. And so what I used to do, and I used to, I tell people this all the time, uh, was record my story. So in advance, I would just record it on my phone and then listen to it in my headphones. And I would, the first like four or five events, I would say, I listened to my story a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I love the sound of my own voice, although maybe I do. Uh, it was just because that way I could get used to hearing myself say those things. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, it helps for editing because you can hear when things are a little bit off and it helps for how you want to read it. Cause you can be like, well, oh, that would sound better in this voice, but really it's just like, Oh, I can say that out loud. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, whatever it is that I have been not talking about for years, maybe um, I can say it out loud. And so mm-hmm. it takes that edge off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is what I used to do. And then I found that I don't, I don't do that as much anymore. And I think part of it is because we've been doing this for almost two years now. And even if it's like speaking in front of new people, I might mess up. I might fumble my words. I might do all of the small things that you might be generally afraid of with public speaking. Mm-hmm. The fear that the audience isn't going to be receptive is gone. Like mm-hmm. I, I, we did an episode about this. I trust our audience. Um, and it's a skill, I think, that becomes developed as yeah. well, is that you learn little uh, little, little things that you maybe, it's like the first few times you would do it, you really 
stick to your script because mm -hmm. you don't want anything. There's enough variables that are happening yeah. while it's going on that you don't want to just start impri improvising at one point, mm -hmm. you know? I started feeling so much more comfortable, especially after going out and doing other events in bars and so on. I felt much more comfortable, like, starting to experiment with things and to try different, you know, types of stories and different... Um, tones and stuff at stories we don't tell because um just i because i you, the audience is just a little bit different in that they're they're coming intentionally to hear the stories like they really mm -hmm. want they seem to want to engage with what's going on so they're they're i feel like they not that in other places they want you to fail but you feel a little bit of an extra uh, a bit of cheerleading going mm -hmm. on. They're rooting for you. Where sometimes if you are in a bar and everything, and this happens, this is per performing, whether you're a mus musician, a comedian, or whatever, there's just random people there that sometimes don't even know an event is going on. Yeah. And, um, you they know, don't care. they don't care. But um, I remember the other thing I was going to say is that when somebody comes and they're new and they've never done uh, a story like this before, or sometimes never have done something like this before period mm -hmm. i personally i just think just speaking generally going to storytelling events around the city sometimes somebody who's gotten up and has never done this before those are like the best stories yeah or the best things you remember yeah because it's somebody that isn't relying on any tricks or relying on any things that that you know persona or anything that they've Mm -hmm. um, figured out they're just pretty they're really raw and everything mm -hmm. yeah, yeah uh, like I guess what's I like, you've already Brian already said it a little bit and clearly I'm already losing my brain uh, Brian already said it a little bit which is that I'm really not ever nervous in front of our audience anymore uh, for anything uh, but I definitely know that I'll be nervous on any other stage so like it's it's, if, it's, it's not like it's one of those things where I, I show up, I, I guess I, it was interesting about this. I think I've realized this as I've gone on. It's that it really has to do with how much control I feel of the space, uh, which exists in everything, to be honest, like even in even my job, if I'm in a space that I feel comfortable in and it's my space, then it doesn't matter how many people are there or what I'm talking about. It's, it, I, I, I feel comfortable there. Uh, whereas when, as if I'm in someone else's space, that's what makes me feel nervous. When I don't necessarily, when I can't necessarily have any control of the audience or how I sort of frame myself or anything like that, or when I really am just going up there to do my bit and then leave, and I have no sort of overarching sort of control of being myself, I just I'm just doing that act. That's when I have a much uh, a, a, a more nerves. Uh, I think because I don't have that way in and out. I'm really just up there being. You know, really, I'm, I'm really there just doing my act as if I'm an act, and I'm not a performer. I, I never really felt comfortable being a performer, uh, and so when I think when I'm put in an only performer role, and then I that's when I feel nerves. Okay, I have one final question actually before we start out the story. Sure. What would be your advice to our new storytellers as they come in? Um, I the first thing that would come to my mind would be to uh, I know maybe it sounds cliched or whatever, but actually trust the process and go through the process mm -hmm. and um because i think i think it's it's a good process and by that's it's just a, a really good way to feel 
like you worked out all the kinks of the story so that's something you don't have to worry about and that um you know you would be you're comfortable you've gone over a lot of a lot of times and you would feel i think good by the time you get there that's great trust the process yeah and don't be afraid about reading from notes there's a whole episode about it yeah we mean it yeah So now we're going to hear a story from Rachel Lane, who was one of our new and fantastic storytellers at this most recent event. Take it away, Rachel. You're fired, you bitch. Pack up your bags and get the fuck out of here. Was not what my boss said to me four years ago. when we consciously uncoupled. It is late February 2012, and on the last day of my probationary period at a very well-known advertising firm, I am called to my manager's office, and she announces that due to lack of fit, they are letting me go. I have five minutes to clear my desk and vacate the building. I am surprised by this. A project manager had praised me for some work that morning. I got on well with the social media team, had begun to make friends in the office. The third party research rep had said he'd learn more from my questions than any other agency partner. How did this happen? I pause the memory and play back sections of that three month relationship. I've become so used to processing spin around the breakup that every time I try and remember what my boss said, it's like watching our scenes on mute. Her voice just isn't there. She is present and silent and always dressed in black. I am not surprised by this. My managers missed most of our status meetings, discouraged me from asking any questions, and had me taking apart the digital work of partner agencies so we could pitch for their slice of the pie. She indicated I was slow with some software despite the fact I had not used it before. Hindsight tries to headbutt me. Should I have flagged this? Should I have pushed harder? Could I have prevented this? Should I have kept my opinion uh, quiet about Tim Horton's latte? (laughs) I nod politely, keen not to make a scene, yet feel flustered and painfully conscious to somehow swallow what is happening. Nothing to see here. Keep calm and carry on. The enormity of the moment does indeed keep me quiet. I return to my desk and gather my things. Having just made myself a coffee in my own mug, I wander over to the kitchen to clean it so I can put it in my handbag. Apparently taking too long, my boss comes to find me and states that we must leave. She accompanies me back to the office and I scoop up the collection of power heels from under my desk. I don't have anything other than my handbag, so literally embrace chaos by wrapping my arms around the assortment of stuff that constitutes this particular chapter of her career in advertising. As she escorts me to the elevator, the corridor of offices is silent. Where is everyone? How how can I say goodbye? What if people see me? What if people see me being walked out? I feel disheveled, with straps hanging loose, laces dangling in the air, the mug hooked over one finger, and the weight of absolute shame. My manager says nothing. I might hate her, but I am frozen in polite mode. We say goodbye as I enter the lift, and on the way down to ground, I struggle to breathe. Okay, so I don't actually struggle to breathe, but the exchange of air between Wells and I moves from an unconscious to conscious delivery. 
I become so painfully aware of oxygen entering the body that uh, perhaps I am failing at breathing too. I have become hollow and formless, uh, merely senses passing data. Now I am operating entirely on motor functions, focused on getting out of the building, trying to find a spot where I can collect my thoughts and assemble my belongings, which I'm struggling to carry. I cross the road, trying to be aware of traffic, but more worried that people will see that I'm struggling to carry everything and realize I've been fired. I make it to a nearby mall, find the food court and collapse at a table. I try and find a spot where people won't realize I'm wrestling with panic. I call a couple of friends, because I'm not sure I can walk at this point, but get voicemail from one and the other can't meet until later in the day. I call my mum on Skype and whisper sob down the phone, at the same time shielding my face from anyone walking past. The shame is oppressive at this point, squeezing me from all sides. I can barely stand up and as I return home, it's as if some invisible force announces the event before me as if everyone I pass must know what happened, that I am this unemployed loser. In advertising, we can talk about feelings in any context as long as we're removed from them. This is hard because even if agencies affirm that such separations aren't personal from their perspective, they certainly are from an employee angle. We do 60 hour weeks in the office, we eat shit and sleep at work, we spend more time with our colleagues than a partner, and yet when the breakup happens, we must slip off the skin as if the role itself were a rental costume and never ours to own in the first place. Days pass and shame continues with its residency. It feels a bit like I've been punched in the stomach, as if I am being pulled into an abyss through a gravitational pull within my own body. Over the course of the week, I venture out in public each step in slow motion as the hustle and bustle of Toronto streams past, absorbed in its urgency. Confessions of the separation tumble out, as they must. But explaining lack of fit seems like a charade masquerading as something more terrible. Friends try to reassure me that I am worth more than a job, that even without employment I am valued and valuable. Those a little further removed say things like, you should develop a thicker skin. But as anybody with a thin skin knows, you just don't instant grow tough. A couple of weeks ago, I reconnected with a charismatic recruiter who revealed that a note on my file at his firm read, short stints, no tier one. Tier one was a reference to my lack of pedigree agency on my resume, my lack of status. I pointed out that tier one didn't necessarily correlate with exciting, challenging, thought-provoking work. But I think the hardest aspect of his criticism was the lack of forgiveness. That even with all of the learning in the world, I'm still being held accountable for decisions I made when I knew no better. That wasn't naivety, and this isn't regret. And yet somehow I've ended up in a hole I can't escape. I return to the UK next month, and it's brutal because this breakup isn't a three-month fling. Canada, I still love you, uh, flawed as we are, and I'm sorry this didn't work out.
find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Underground Barber Shops. To remind me that I'm fine. To remind me.